Welcome to another episode of the Corporate Quitters Podcast. Today, Sparkle Lindsay is going to spread a little sunshine as we talk about overcoming adversity, deep adversity. This is one you don't want to miss, my friends. Tune in. All right. All right. Good morning, friends and family. Welcome to episode number 24 of the Corporate Quitters Podcast. Today, Sparkle Lindsay. Sparkle. Good morning. <laughs> all right. Now, look, you, you got to tell the people what you said to me backstage a few minutes ago. <laughs> well, you know, last week I was looking at this uh, LinkedIn live and I'm like, Okay, yeah, I get to see Robert. Like, yeah, it's it's time. It's coming. You know, I was talking to my assistant and she's like, at six o'clock in the morning? <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and I looked at her again and I was like, I'm going to need to go to sleep right now. <laughs> so I'm ready for it next week. <laughs> but so you look and you seem refreshed, though. <laughs> So I'm assuming that you got enough sleep. Yeah, I was knocked out last night because I was like, well, time to go to bed. You know, I, I kind of just knocked out anyway. I'm, I sleep pretty well, which I know the average American doesn't really sleep as well. But for some reason, for me, I can just I can knock out. You know what I mean? So I slept really well last night. <laughs> I, I got you. Yeah, because for me, it's seven o'clock. And for people on the East Coast, it's, it's eight. Uh, eight. So yeah, they're they're in there. So here's the secret here. I did it at this time because I'm trying to be the next Joe Rogan, right? I'm right, right. <laughs> so I'm getting that early morning drive into work. Well, I, I guess that early morning commute from your bed to the kitchen now that everybody's working from home. Yes. Making their coffee and listening, right? Right, good, right, right. And you know thing. what? Speaking of listening, my man Chris Postle is here and he said. Love this series. Keep up the great work. But then he also said, and thank you for everything you do, Sparkle. Such an important oh. role in today's society. Thank you, Chris. It's good to see you. I'm glad you're here in this space with us. I really am. <laughs> yeah, well, you forgot the other piece. And this early in this space. <laughs> All right, so look, let me let me start off by asking the burning question that everybody wants to know. Yes. Who named you Sparkle and why? Well, there was a movie by the name of Sparkle in the 1970s. And Sparkle was the lead singer of the girls group. And the in vogue, the girls group now uses used their songs after that. So my mom, when she was younger, she used to watch that movie all the time. So uh, she said that when she had her first daughter, she would name her daughter Sparkle. And so that's how it came to be. Now, it was supposed to be Misty or Sparkle. And my mom and my dad said when I came out, uh, my eyes sparkled. So they knew right away it was going to be Sparkle. Oh, nice. Nice. <laughs> Wait, so what's your middle name? Uh, Nicole. Okay. <laughs> Sparkle Nicole Lindsay. <laughs> okay. Okay. 
See, I was thinking maybe they might have done Sparkle, then Misty in the middle, but you know, okay. No, oh, they, they they went Nicole with it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so look, and I was telling you backstage as we were talking, you know, this is a very serious topic, talking mm -hmm. about you, your life, and what you do now. So we are just going to jump right in. Okay. And I'm thinking everybody else is okay with that too, because Right now, a lot of people need some help and a lot of people are suffering, especially being on lockdown for so long. Some people are mm -hmm. suffering from loneliness, depression, all kinds of things. Right. So as I was watching your YouTube channel, I saw mm -hmm. a video that you posted about, uh, I think it was about four or five months ago, where you said that you were celebrating your sobriety. And I think you were at about a year and 10 months or something like that. Yeah, I think, so. yeah, it was um, in March, maybe. It's been a while. Um, I'm now two years and almost six months sober. November 4th, I'll be two and a half years sober. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've been so, moving through it. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, when I saw that video, I was trying to do the calculations in my head. And, you know, I'm an accountant and accountants can't add. So I was like, wait a minute, that would be two years and carry to one. Yeah. I didn't have enough fingers to really... I didn't have enough fingers to get down to it. So, so let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. Sobriety. What does that mean for you? And, and how often do you actually celebrate your milestones? Oh, um, my sobriety is my everything. Um, it is the only thing that uh, has separated me from life and death. Uh, I am no one will ever nor myself take my sobriety away. Um, it is, it's what keeps me, it, it is what helps me be fueled to do the things I do and it helped me find my passion and it is still helping me find my passion daily. Mm -hmm. um, when I first started my sobriety, I was like, are you kidding me? I can't do, I can't do none of this stuff no more. <laughs> Let me rethink this. I don't know. <laughs> um, and now I'm like, I am addicted to my sobriety. I'm addicted to my happiness um, with that has come with it. Um, I'm addicted to my truth. You know, um, when you go through sobriety, you go through this certain type of innocence because it's like you have to start all over and learn to walk again. Oh. And so for me, it's like I'm two and a, I'm like almost three years old and um, I'm just looking at life through a totally different lens and a lens of clarity, a lens of understanding and compassion, it changes, it changes your life, you know, as you start to really play a part in your life the way you want to versus just halfway going through it, you know, so it, it's so much more surreal. Wow. So how did you fall into the bad place? Oh, well, <clears throat> you know, I, I believe in I believe that we use in, in the world a lot of judgments. Um, I believe that uh, was it a bad place or was it a good place? It just is what it is. Um, mm -hmm. To me, I had to go through that in order to be right here um, and be sparkle and deal with the, the great hardships and some of the great, you know, the awesomeness that has happened at the same time. But I had to go through that, you know. So my journey really, uh, it started like I said, I have five brothers. I have three brothers and a sister. So there's five of us. Um, I have a double major and a minor. My family is very supportive of me. Um, was in corporate America for 13 years for three big box companies. 
And um, I, you know, I live a life that you probably would not have known I was suffering that bad from alcohol and drugs. Um, I could see it and I could feel it. You know, I also had a lot of hardships with autoimmune conditions. Uh, and at the age of 21, I was in the middle of my college basketball season. And I woke up one morning uh, really, really sick. And my weight had dropped from 140 to, went from 140 to 107 in a week and a half. And I was extremely sick and I was told I'd never walk again. So I was in a wheelchair for about six to eight months. And uh, that right there was just, uh, that was devastating to me, but I was also pretty young, I was 20. Um, so for me, it was more like I was determined, you know, to walk again. Now, you know, we talk about what was it that got me in into this whole beautiful disaster. <laughs> I love saying that, by the way. Um, but um, it was my uh, strong woman syndrome. It was a strong woman syndrome. Mm -hmm. um, it was my ability to not allow the ego to move out of the way. Um, it was my ability to want to be a fixer. You know, coming from corporate America... I learned a lot about fixing at a young age. You know, I was 24 mm -hmm. years old. So um, I came out with them saying, we have to have solutions. We have to fix things. Call Sparkles, she'll fix it. We're going to make you the best and the biggest fixer in the world, Sparkle. You are going to make it happen. These are the things mm -hmm. that were told to me at such a young age, at 24, that it became me. You know, and it became me to the point where I had pushed myself to the side to make sure I fixed everything and everybody else. And I didn't realize it was tearing me up the whole time, you know. And so you got to a point where you were trying to meet everyone else's expectations to a point where you weren't even taking care of yourself. Oh, yeah. You know, in corporate America, they ask us, what are we willing to do? You know, they make it as if it's a, a team oriented thing. Everybody's doing this. We got to get it done. You know, we work hours around the clock because we got to make sure our visits are great. And we got to make sure. And I, you know, now that I look back at it and I run my own company, obviously, I'm like this. What was I doing? Um, it was exhausting. It was exhausting. Um, my, you know, I'm an athlete. So my, my drive was just going all the time. And uh, it was it was exhausting. And it was not fun. It, it got to the point where I had all of these accolades, but I didn't know who the heck I was. So I just was doing what they had said, this is what we do to be, a, you know, be amazing. Yep. But and it was amazing. Don't get me wrong. I mean, remodels and new store openings and uh, you know, uh, being HR and running the whole database for certain companies and making that happen. And then on top of that, you know, becoming number one of like 20 stores during remodels. I mean, all that was great. And I learned a lot. I learned how to train people and how to work with your people and through your people. And it was great. But all along, I did not know me. Yeah. And it's almost like you become number one in someone else's corporation, but not yep. number one in the corporation of ME, of me. Nope. Making money yeah. for, the other for the companies. You're making money for the companies and getting a small portion of that money and a lot of exhaustion, um, a lot of partying, um, a lot of things that may have bothered you at work, 
but you don't know how to express it because you don't know yourself. So instead, what do you do? You go drink, you go have fun, you go release, you go relax now that you've had a long day. See what I mean? Uh, And before you know it, it becomes a trend. And everybody around you is going to relax and go have a drink and go chill and party all night, get up, do it again. Because I don't got to go to work until one o'clock. I have the night shift, right? So you, you, <laughs> so it became a, a huge party thing for me too, because by the time I hit 25, 26, I didn't drink a lot during, you know, my conditions, all of that. So when cocaine was introduced to me, and alcohol. Oh, that was it. You know, I I could function for me. I could function, focus, do whatever I wanted to do and not get extra drunk and be able to have bumps in the next day. So I wouldn't have hangovers. So for me, I just got into a cycle and everything was still happening. Everything was still going great, but my cycle was like the body was needing it, but I didn't realize how much it was starting to need it. You know what I mean, Robert? Yeah. Uh, and that part got scary. You know, that part got scary because I was like, oh, I think I'm relying on this, you know? Yeah. Now, th- now that's interesting. So for you, were you initially using it strictly recreational because everyone else was or were you using it to cover up something or did it provide some sort of um, depressant or, or like what was your <laughs> catalyst behind it? So remember, so I also had, and I'm going to say, remember, like you've known me for years, but so, (laughs) so when I started drinking, I couldn't drink. So I got drunk off of two Mike's Hard Lemonades. When I, when I graduated at 25, I had other friends I graduated with that played ball with me as well. And I couldn't hang with them. So I never really got a chance to like party during my college years because I was playing ball. Um, You know, I was getting my degree. Um, You know, I had four, I had three autoimmunes at the time. So my body was in a lot of pain. You know, I had uh, what they call myasthenia gravis, which is a muscular fatigue condition, fibromyalgia, which actually affects the nerves. And then I, at 30, got vitiligo, which is a you know, I had my, a skin depigmentation disorder. Um, and then at the end, I now have lupus as well. So a lot of my stuff was pain management. Um, I was trying to manage this pain and work around the clock. But then I also was still young, 26, and having all this pain. I'm making 75000 a year coming out. I'm single. I'm not married. I'm, I'm partying, you know, so it's kind of, that's kind of how it started. And then it was introduced to me because I couldn't handle my alcohol. The cocaine was, and then once I took the cocaine, I knew I could do both and balance myself out. And, uh, that's what I did. And from then on, I, it took off, it took off a lot, you know? Um, and the only thing that really stopped me from doing it wasn't, work. Okay. Because everybody else around me, they were drinking just as much as me, if not more. Ah. Um, And because the company was seeing great results, they did not care um, because, you know, I'm just, I mean, they're getting what they want out of it. I'm a body, you know, I was just a body, just a number. And as long as I was making those results for them, that's all that really mattered. You know, um, 
I didn't notice that. I thought that we were all in this together. But, <laughs> but now that I'm 36, I recognize that the only person that can take care of me is me. And that it's not a corporate problem. That's just the way they work. Um, and I found that it just didn't work for me. I had to go through a lot to realize that, you know, because um, I still, you know, even when I worked for King Supers, that was the last big corporate company I worked for. Um, you know, I had a, a, a client that I was trying to help, a, not a client, but an associate at the time that I was trying to help get living, you know, and uh, with the when I when the person came in um, to talk about it, I found we found a way to get them living, found a way to help them, all these things. And uh, out of nowhere, uh, I told he kind of shrugged me off, you know, and he said, I got to go to the bathroom. And so I remember this day um, like no other because it changed my life. Uh, it changed like my whole entire narrative and how I look at things. It changed trauma for me because I had had so much trauma and I didn't even recognize it already. But this one took the cake, you know, for me. Um, when he went to the bathroom, I felt something. You know, I felt uh, my intuition didn't feel right. And uh, I literally uh, was... <clears throat> I walked towards the bathroom just to wait on him so I could surprise him and tell him we found housing. And uh, two, three minutes goes by and I'm like, God, something just doesn't feel right. So I, I wait for about another minute. I walk into the bathroom and he, he shot himself in the head. Oh. He died instantly and I fainted. Mm -hmm. uh, and at that point, I had been holding on. I was trying to be so strong during autoimmunes during my conditions, uh, the fact that I would, was drinking now around the clock more, and then the fact that that happened. And so I went through these little classes they had for us, and uh, it literally, I didn't understand it because, you know, therapy for me and therapy for a lot of Black people um, is people feel like something has to be wrong with you to have mm -hmm. therapy, which is not true at all. Therapy is is for you to be able to release to someone who does not know you and you to be able to release the things you're holding on to and learn to live with them and walk through them. That is therapy, learning to challenge yourself to learn more about yourself so you can move forward and let it go. That's what it is. But for me, I I I didn't really listen. You know, I was like, I don't need no therapy. I can handle this. I'm strong. I can do this. You see what I mean? And it was eating me up inside, Robert. We're talking about nightmares and just uh, working around the clock. And I, you know, do cocaine. So I'd stay up. That way I wouldn't have to go to sleep and worry about, you know, all this stuff. And then I'd work nonstop. So I, it would distract me, you know? And so November 11th is the anniversary um, here in the next two weeks of um, the gentleman who passed away and killed himself. Um, so, you can only imagine being two and a half years sober here coming up on the fourth is a huge milestone. Um, but then on top of that, this one always uh, hits home for the past year. Um, I, I have to prepare myself for how my body's going to react and the triggers that may transpire um, because of how, how much it changed my life. You know what I mean? So um, definitely uh, for me, that was where the drinking happened. And for me, that was where I was like, I really do need help. And, and you know, as an athlete, 
uh, fixer, you know, all these things. It takes a lot to be like, I don't know what I'm doing. I need some help. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, now let's go back to something you said. You said that you, you, you believe that the corporations didn't care what was happening as long as you brought in good numbers. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> do you think, and again, I'm just asking you for your opinion now, but do you think that there were some corporations you worked for that actually knew what was happening with their employees or, or even enabled some of the behaviors? I, you know, I believe that if, I believe that like now, I believe that there's a lot of breakthroughs that are happening for corporate because people are starting to stand up and stand out about themselves. Um, I believe that like, you know, things like my book or being a better me for me, I've had a lot of um, executives who asked me about my book and how I got out. How was I able to say no? And, and a big portion of it was like, I, the day that I was, uh, got called into the office. I thought I was going to get fired. Okay. Because, um, I had been partying, drinking late to things, you know, but there was numbers that were just blowing up. You know, these numbers were doing great. And, uh, when I got called in, I actually was promoted and, uh, $125,000 a year. And for me, I, I just remember just sitting there being like, if I stay here like this, I'm going to die. Like I am not going to be okay. And so I turned it down that day. Um, I remember being intoxicated somewhat in that meeting, by the way. And I remember <clears throat> um, not being able to find my way out after I said, <laughs> I no longer want to work for you guys. And uh, I remember going to the car and just being like, what are you doing? Like you're here, everybody else, you know, and even I called a friend and I said, I turned it down. And my friend was like, what are you doing, Sparkle? This is our life. This is what we do. I will never forget that. This is what we do. This is our life. Whether we have drinking problems or not, this is what we signed up for. And the more I hear that, I hear that every day as I get going now and I make goals for me and for my company and for the people who need me, you know, and who want to be better for themselves. And I remember saying, nah, this one's not worth it. I'm worth it. Ugh. And I'll never forget saying it. I don't even know where that came from, honestly, because I didn't know who I was, but I knew something had to change. And I knew I was the only person that was going to be able to do it, you know? Wow. Yeah. And a lot of organizations put profit over people, Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. and you see it in movies and, and, and you oftentimes wonder how real is it? Because movies, of course, they kind of over glamorize certain things. But then you start to wonder, do they really? Because you hear stories like yours and it's just amazing because it sounds like you had an environment that encouraged the behavior that you were partaking in. Well, and, you know, it everybody would had some sort of stress on them, you know, right. because we're America. So like even my um, co-workers, you know, that was what we did. We just and and really and truly, we don't even realize that we're spiraling. Like yeah. I did not realize I was spiraling. I thought we were just having a fun time. We had a visit. Things went great. Uh, you know, everybody's happy. We, we did a potluck or whatever for the team. And then now everybody's getting off work. We've been there since three o'clock in the morning trying to make this work. <laughs> 
<laughs> and uh, we we finished the visit. And then, you know, everybody's like, let's go out. Let's celebrate. You know, so you can only imagine, you know, the difference between let's go out. Let's celebrate for me now at two and a half years almost here versus then is totally different. Now I'm like, let's go get us some good food, watch a movie, chillax. I'm good with it, you know, right? but and I'm good now. The the before that was like, let's go have some drinks. And then drinks turned into late, late nights, which turned into who knows where I'd end up. <laughs> and right. sometimes I'd say, well, we got four days off. Let's just jump on a plane and we go into Florida. Like, seriously. Um, so just just things like that, because we had time off like that, you know, um, and it was fun. Don't get me wrong. I say a lot of my life, people say, well, did you just. I mean, dude, was it just an awful thing? And I'm like, no, there was good portions of it that I, I mean, I lived my life. I am still living my life and I enjoyed every bit of it. There's not one piece I would take back. The difference is, is that I am glad though, that at 34, I decided to say, you know, Hey, I'm going to die. You know, like I have, because once I got six months later, I got diagnosed with lupus Um, Right after that, uh, after the gentleman killed himself. And so I literally, um, I was in pain. I was really sick. And I had to start taking a form of chemo, which was methotrexate, uh, to start to put this stuff back into remission. And so um, there was a lot of, of pain and suffering that went on with me as well. And trying to manage that piece, you know, sometimes I'd wake up and not able to walk but I got to be to work for 14 hours a day. You know, um, it was just a lot happening there, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of people are unaware of how many people are actually at work and barely functioning or functioning because of the use of some sort of substance to help Mm -hmm. them get through the day because they're using that as a coping mechanism to cover up some sort of pain that they're in, whether it's physical pain or mental pain. Yep. And and the coping mechanism is like we're also having to I mean, if you work in a corporate America thing where you work with customers. OK, yep. so you work with customers. Uh, you know, I think there was one point and there ha- it happens a lot for me that uh, my fingertips <laughs> and, and my wrist, I could not bend them and they're extra swollen. And I'm like, I have to figure out how I'm going to put a shirt on. <laughs> And drive here. Wow. Okay. And now when I get there, I get a call that the freight person called off. So we're going to need you to use a pallet jack today. Hello. Wow. <laughs> um, and I'm thinking in my head, who who can help me get this done and do that? I mean, those were the everyday things that happened for me in corporate or for any of us. Um, We always had to wear many different hats, even if we weren't, you know what I mean? We had to wear hats. If a register was filled up, you know, for Kohl's or any of those places, if we had another manager that was there as well, well, we'd be on that register. So it wasn't like, um, you know, we were around the clock, nonstop moving. There was never, never a time when we weren't. Um, So with that being said, and with the amount of autoimmunes I had, it was very interesting that my body was able to handle so much, but I trust my body and I love my body. And I can say that that is the only thing 
you know, between my sobriety and my body, nobody better not touch. <laughs> I need this. Okay, this is my temple. <laughs> I, I know that's right. All right, so if you guys are just joining us, we're on the Corporate Quitters Podcast. We're talking to Sparkle Lindsay. And if you missed the first 30 minutes, you need to go back and rewind because we've talked about a lot of things, uh, including coping in the workforce and some coping mechanisms that she used, which were alcohol, cocaine, and things like that. Um, There are a lot of people who are out there suffering, and we know this. So now you said that you've had someone to actually kill themselves while you were helping them at work. And that was kind of an aha moment for you where you began to wake up. Um, How did that change you? And what were some of the steps that you took afterwards when you realized you needed to make a change? You know, it changed me because I asked myself, did I want to do this for the rest of my life like this? You know, um, I and the fact that I was uh, found out about, look, you know, getting sick with lupus, I was like, something's got to give, you know. Um, and, you know, I the fact that I was reaching out to some of my coworkers and telling them something is not right. And they're like, this is what we do. And I was wow. like, oh, my God, I got to get out of this because but I did have one one guy um, who's still very close to me. Me and him are, you know, best friends. He said, Listen here, kiddo, because he's been in corporate America for a long time. He's got about 20 years on me. He said, listen here, you get out of here and you run for the hills. He said, don't you look back. He said, this is, he goes, you are worth so much more than what you're portraying right now. He goes, and I see so many different things for you. You have got to get out of here. I will never forget that. Um, It brings tears to my eyes because um, he literally said, don't get don't get stuck in this. Do not get stuck in this corporate umbrella where money is the only thing that matters, where you get make so much money that when you finally try to move up or move out, people can't pay you. You know what I mean? And um, because you make too much. And so he said, go do what you want to do. He said, you're sparkle freaking Lindsay. Now get out there and do it. And uh, that's when I went to treatment. I said, I'm going, well, I made attempt to go to treatment. And then I ended up going up to the mountains here to uh, gamble with my grandparents and my ex-fiance. And I drank way too much um, and ended up in jail in uh, Blackhawk where um, I had to stay for three or four days. I blew a point four. Um, yeah. And legal was point. Uh, uh, yeah. Point two, point six. What is a. Uh, oh, well, legal. You mean like just one drink? It's like a what? Point oh eight. Yeah. Point oh eight. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Point oh eight. See, at this point, Robert, I was drinking like around the clock. So like, I mean, a regular blow for me would be like a point. Three six or a point three five. I was so immune to alcohol that like it, wow. it it was like a becoming of me. Like literally, I was probably just a walking alcoholic, whatever you know. But I could still communicate and talk. So they had sent me to the hospital wow. <clears throat> that night because um, I was still able to have a conversation like I'm having with you after blowing a point four. Oh, man. So wait. Yeah. So let, let's go back here. There's a lot to unpack here because yeah. a point four 
is a lot because to be considered legally drunk, it's 0 0.08. And so you're saying 0.4, which is just an astronomical amount above the limit. Yeah. But let's let's go back to the, the guy that you said he talked to you and he told you that you were better than the environment you were in. Now, mm -hmm. I know you talked about being around some other enablers in the environment. You know, right. you had other people who were saying this is just what we do. But surely he wasn't the first person that said that you're better than this. But it seems like he was the last person. So what made him different? What made you listen to him as opposed to anybody else that said it before him? Well, you know, because he said it like, open your eyes and look what's happening around you. You know, yeah, this is going to be here. Corporate America, uh, being a manager, Sparkle, once manager, always a manager. You can always come back to this. But what more does Sparkle want? What does Sparkle want? What? And then my father, you know, he made it. What is your legacy, Miss Lindsay? I remember this when I was in jail and I talked to him and he did not bail me out. Uh, and he said, right. you need to figure out what your legacy is. He goes, you need to figure out what your purpose is. He goes, I will not be bailing my oldest daughter out. And, you know, for him and for my family, they were very scared because they didn't know what I was capable of. They knew what I was capable of and they looked up to me. You know, my brothers and sisters look up to me and they still look up to me now. Um, but when I heard those words, open your eyes and realize that you are a piece of meat. In anything we do, we are a piece of meat. How does it help others that you are there? But you need to first ask yourself, how does it help you? Because if you're just helping everybody else, right? And you're not getting or reaping any of your own benefits from your magic and you don't realize it, people can just run you into the ground like a freaking doormat. And at that point, you know, my good friend, he was telling me, we can be considered people's doormats because we're doing work for them. Yep. We're doing work for everybody but ourselves and we're not seeing the benefits that we should. And so that opened my eyes. I was like, I need some time to just be away from all of this. Like I need to go, you know? And that's when my journey of treatment started. That, or when I decided to go to treatment and actually face myself and ask myself how I played a part in all of this, it hurt. It hurt. Every bit of it hurt because I had to be real with myself. But now I, I would never take it back. You know, I actually cried for the first time in 13 years in treatment. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. There were so many emotions being suppressed, so many things being hidden because I had to be the strong one. This is what I thought. You know, my dad never said you have to be the strong one. You have to do this. But in my head, I had done and fixed so much. That's what I thought I was. I can't be the person that has an alcohol and addiction problem. I have to be the strong one. You know, um, we just start to think these things and we start to go with it, not realizing that we actually really have no clue where we're going. Yeah. <laughs> no, so I didn't have a clue where I was going. <laughs> how, how did you feel initially when dad gave you the tough love, because I can hear you talking about it now and, and reflecting, you're, you're like, it was probably the best thing that happened. But in that moment, I'm sure that's not what you were thinking. What what happened in that moment? In that moment, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, I don't have a problem. I remember talking to him. He's like, Sparkle, you have a problem and it's time to fix it. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have a problem. And I just need you to bail me out because my bill is $125,000. Whoa. 
Because this wasn't my first time in jail. Okay. So like, because I had DV cases going on. My ex-fiance was also an alcoholic. Okay. Um, I had possession. So I had drugs on me when, I mean, you're taught, like I had all of that going on along with working in corporate. And then I go home, argue, fight with my ex, you know, debate on my conditions. Cops get called on me. I'm on probation. Can't stop drinking. I had UAs going on. Like, and the problem is, is that even with the system, I had UAs that were just, not, I didn't pass any of my UAs, Robert. And I still was able to work because I paid my fees and my wait, wait. For those who don't know, tell everyone what a UA is. Oh, urine analysis. So that's, you know, where you, they uh, drug test you, drug yep. test you, all of that. So I did not pass one of them. And I can't. And they still to, let you go back? The probation officer. Yeah. They, they, because I paid my fees, I was working. And, you know, I remember the probation officer I had and they it's like they were waiting or wanting me to like hang myself with it. Like they were waiting for me to, you know, could, I mean, I had so many consecutives that it was ridiculous. Right. But I there was a problem. There was a problem. And I, I finally got switched to a different probation officer. I'll never forget that probation officer. She still contacts me till this day to tell me how proud she is of me. But she contacted me and said, now, listen, what are you doing? And I said, I'm working. What are you talking about? Things are great. <laughs> you know, I'm just getting she goes, have you seen these UAs? And I said, no, I've been passing them. Right. <laughs> Wait, so you didn't even know that you you knew that you weren't passing them. I, I mean knew I wasn't, but they weren't saying anything, right? Right, so right. You didn't want to say anything. So there. <laughs> wow. Sure enough, she said, have you seen these UAs? You got marijuana in this one, cocaine in this one, and alcohol. And I mean, it was a, it was a mess. But wait, I thought the whole purpose and point of having a probation officer and doing the, the drug test was to make sure that you were no longer using. So how did the system allow this to happen? Well, you know, I paid my fees and I worked and I had everything going on at home. You know, I was okay, but I also was ending up in jail and getting the cops called on me more and more because of arguments with my ex-fiance who had been drinking just as much as me. And so it was only a matter of time. I was in this cycle. I was in the can't stop using cycle. Okay. And then I was still in the party cycle. And that was when my dad was like, so I guess you'll figure out how to bail yourself out now, won't you? <laughs> wow. But this probation officer said, you know, after she had a real big talking to, to me, said, you know what? You're walking around here with these UAs. You got all these great things happening for you and you can't stop using. And you're sitting here looking at me and lying to me and telling me everything's OK. And I sat down that night. I remember it. That was right after I got out of jail, you know, from up in the mountains and I called my aunt and I said, I'm ready to go to treatment. And wow. uh, I never looked back. I went to treatment right after. And then uh, I do motivational speaking and stuff for uh, the court systems and things like that now um, due to that probation officer who said she follows me all, all the time, every day. Mm -hmm. And most of them do. And now, um, you know, in mm -hmm. July, everything for me was dismissed. Um, 
um, no longer on paper or anything, but I was in the system for a good five years and oh, also, wow. oh man, just, just held captive. Cause every time something would happen, I'm going to jail too. Cause I'm there, you know, cause I'm, I'm on probation. So, it, and then it would revoke and reinstate. So I'd have to start all over again. Ugh, it was, it was the worst. And I was still trying to upkeep this life as a corporate America. You know what I mean? Ugh, it, that part and the system and then someone killing themselves. I was about, I mean, there's no, I'm, I am so grateful to be alive today. I truly am. Wow. Battling and juggling so much, you know? So now when you went to treatment, is that when you finally quit corporate America? Cause I, I like, I like the title of your book being a better me for me. So at mm -hmm. some point you had to start being a better you for you. And I know treatment was a part of that, but did you sever ties with corporate at that point too? Well, remember I was asked, I, so all of this happened. I got was going to be promoted and I turned it down turned and it down. I left to go to treatment. But I ended up going to jail first because I went to the mountains to party and grandparents were there. I love my grandparents to death, by the way. They are my heart and did soul. Did they bail you out? <laughs> uh, yes, they did. And then they also were the ones that drove me to treatment. Um, um. And they also were the ones that said, we love you, sweetheart. It's okay. Like they, they hung in there with me, but I definitely went to jail with them there. Um, you know, what's interesting about that though. So you, you had two different types of support systems. You yeah. had dad as the tough love who said, nope, I'm done. But you also had the grandparents that said, okay, we know dad is done, but we're not done. Well, and, and 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 the reason why is because see my aunt my aunt also battled alcohol and addiction and my my mother my mother's sister is the one that battled alcohol and addiction so even my mom understood more about the alcoholic addict my dad he he we have some family members that battle alcohol and addiction but he had never dealt with it firsthand like this and so it's been wonderful to watch him grow as i've grown and learn so much about the alcoholic addict in my journey. And yeah. he's a quantum Reiki master. So a lot of my clients go to him now for their recovery. And so for him, it's been like a huge eye opener. And then for my brothers and sisters and, uh, you know, family members and friends, they now can come to me and be like, Sparkle, am I overthinking this? Or is this really how you guys think? And I'm like, no, this is really how we think. And we really do have to hold on every day because we're only promised today. Um, just, right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. This, this is really interesting because so you mentioned that your dad is a Reiki master. And mm -hmm. so now you decide that you, after what you've gone through, you want to help others. Yes. So now how did that transformation occur where you became a certified peer recovery support specialist? Well, so, you know, it was pretty crazy how it came out, came to be because um, after I went to treatment and I started to get to know myself better and uh, started to go through my therapy and started being able to do all of these things, uh, I, I realized that like I had been setting myself up in corporate America to help people help themselves my whole life. You know, I was a master trainer. Um, I help people figure out where they fit in the company's puzzle. So the only difference was now I get to work with people one-on-one. -on -one, I get to motivational speak. Uh, I get to write. 
And I get to help people figure out where they fit in their puzzle and how oh, they make the magic work for them. And so I just pretty much took all the stuff I had learned through corporate America and placed it into my own way of being and said, okay, this is me helping people take their life back. So when I got a chance to actually learn about what recovery coaches do, um, I was just volunteering uh, at a nonprofit organization. Uh-huh. And I said, wait a minute, I can, I get to call people who are battling alcohol and addiction and talk to them and help them figure out how to take their life back. I was like, this is going to be amazing. There are so many things that can happen with this. And at the time, you know, the nonprofit was like, Sparkle, just get on the phone and call. <laughs> but me, you know. Um, you got to uh, get out of your own way. Because for me, um, my why is challenge. And so when I see something, um, you know, I challenge the status quo and I try to make it better. And so that was when I said, I'm taking and running with it. So I ended up doing being an emergency department interventionist, which helps people who are go- in uh, the emergency rooms that are in detox, will help get them placed and get them help right away and get them a coach right away. So help them into the aftercare. I also help with the jail systems. Um, and my first client, he came out of jail. He's about a year and a half sober now, and uh, he's working to be a recovery coach as well. And then... You know, I also felt compelled to start speaking. Uh, You know, my higher power said, it's time to start telling your story. And it's time to start letting people know that whatever you're going through, you got to be vulnerable with yourself and you got to work with yourself, work with yourself. Because when you start to work with yourself, you start to realize that like, man, I did this. I did this to myself. Yep. You know, um, I am my own demise. And how am I going to fix it? And, and when we say fix it, it's one thing to fix everybody else. But when you start to actually find the love of fixing yourself, it is the bomb. And that is where I am right now. <laughs> and, it, you know, it, 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 it's beautiful that you say that, because what I believe is I believe that everybody has something that they can contribute to society. Oh, yeah. I think that the unfortunate because, you know, the old saying, it takes a village. I really do believe that. Oh, yeah. But Mm -hmm. I think, unfortunately, what happens is most of us, we die before we realize our full potential. We die before we realize what it is that we're supposed to do in the world. And most of the time that happens because what we end up doing is we end up working a job for someone else and we suppress what our calling truly is. And a lot of times when we are going through a mess, Mm -hmm. there's usually a message within that mess that we need to give Mm -hmm. to other people. And we don't ever deliver our message because we keep pushing along, especially those of us in the corporate environment, especially those of us who perform at a high level because they pay us so much money. You get to a point where you don't even realize and recognize your own strength and voice and what you need to contribute to the world. Because I find it interesting that when people escape, they often do become motivational speakers because they've gone through something. They often become authors like you. By the way, that book is called A Better Me For Me. Go get it on Amazon, you guys. We'll drop a link down below. Mm -hmm. Um, But then when you step into your full calling, like certified peer recovery support specialist, you Mm -hmm. would never be able to do that if you had not gone through the mess and developed the message that you need to deliver now. Exactly. And I think when we the big part is the learning to step into your power and walk on your own. Yep. 
Okay, we and giving ourselves as much time as possible to do it. Time is on our side. Don't let other things affect you from knowing you. Because before you know it, the time that I spent working on myself and being able to do that, now it's like, I'm ready to speak. I'm ready to be Sparkle. I'm ready to show the world what I can do. And I'm ready to make Sparkle's company goals, the goals for Sparkle LLC and the goals for me in general and the goals to living a happy life and finding where I fit in my own puzzle and being happy about that, you know, um, and true happiness, you know, where is that at and where does that lie? And a lot of times we feel like, yeah, we, we say we're happy. We say we're good. And I remember doing this and suppressing and saying, yeah, I'm okay. I'll deal with it later. But now, no, no, no. We deal with it now. We deal with it now. If I'm upset about something, what's underneath it? Yeah. If I'm sad about something, then that's okay. And I don't have to have a reason to cry. I don't have to have a reason to smile, but I do have to have a reason to embrace myself as a human being. And yep. say that it is okay. <laughs> it is fine. You well, know, and, and there is absolutely no way that you can show up well for the world when you are sick. When you can't <laughs> show up for yourself. And that's <laughs> there you go. So let's talk about Sparkle Lindsay, the company. Mm -hmm. What what are some of the things that you do in your company to help other people? We touched well, on some of them, but what, what does that look like? I walk in the door and I need help. What are some of the things that I can experience? So on a regular basis, um, I am a recovery coach, um, but I also now have people walking into those doors asking me to motivational speak for them. So um, I have been on a lot of live events lately, a lot of live uh, in-person events, a few, and also a lot of summits uh, kind of talking about not just my story for alcohol addiction, but also uh, just giving people this, this being a better you for you vibe. Okay. Learning how to cope with yourself. Okay. And working through the 10 tips and tricks that are in that book, which the workbook actually comes out soon as well to be out uh, next week on Amazon too. Um, so I also, um, am a trainer. I'm the trainer of the trainer for recovery coaches. So, um, I train coaches to be great coaches, to go out there and help people with alcohol and addiction. Now, I also train uh, parents and family members and spouses uh, with my training as well so that they can take a little bit of sunshine with them each day. And the reason why I say sunshine for the Peer Recovery Coach Academy is because it gives you insight to what the alcoholic addict is thinking. And it also is a self-reflective training for you to figure out how you may have played a part in that addict's life or how you're playing a part in your own life. And there may be some things that you need to change, too. So it is 64 hours of nothing but self-reflective training. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, a lot of work. And it asks you if you're really ready to take on other people. Are you really ready to take on and train other people? So I coach. Uh, I train. I'm also an executive coach. Um, I usually get a lot of executives that come to me who are battling alcohol addiction and they don't want to let anybody know that because they're in the corporate world and they need to learn how to maneuver through that, get sober, set boundaries and have a work-life balance. So um, I get a lot of that. And so my niche for me, there's lots of recovery coaches and uh, peer support specialists out there, but my major niche is helping leaders out of the depths of addiction. Um, and so uh, that's what I do, you know, I, and once again, like I said, I'm motivational speak. 
and train. Those are two of the biggest things right now that have come and transpired uh, Sparkle LLC. The reason why is because my coaching, you know, it takes a lot of energy um, to coach one-on-one. We all know this. And uh, for me, my amount of clients are overflowing, overflowing for me with abundance. Um, and I'm so blessed to have it, but I feel like um, it's it's okay for me to give a little bit of sunshine to a lot of people by being able to speak and being able to speak the word and feel compelled to do so. And so um, that's why I feel like training people to be amazing at what they do and speaking to people and telling them to start with themselves first is my passion. That's my niche, you know, and then once again, working with people as I can. Um, but, you know, I'm getting to that point where there's wait list and things like that for the coaching piece. Yeah. Um, and everybody's got something different, whether it's uh, a co-occurring. So maybe they're bipolar and they're battling meth. Um, that in alone, just that one co-occurring condition going on takes a lot of energy. It takes about sometimes two hours just to help somebody get their bearings, right? And walk alongside people, along with making sure that it doesn't take you away from what you're doing. You know, your focus on your sobriety. Um, so yeah, so that that's that's really what I do. Um, not in a nutshell, I guess I would say, but it's it's so much more and it's so much greater. So Sparkle LLC is starting to transpire into these huge four entities um, that now it's time to get the help, get the help, have people do these things, help my company build um, and know that they have a safe spot to learn who they are and what they can actually bring to the table as well and stay sober. You know, these are all processes. And I feel like having a place for people to land and know that there's no judgment, everything's safe, helps people figure out what their true passion is, whether they stay with Sparkle LLC or they go somewhere else and find their passion. That's the only thing I, I look forward to, you know, on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah. Because I think the, the only way people can start to get help is when you normalize conversations like this. Mm -hmm. Um because people would be surprised how many corporate executives are suffering and some are suffering, but haven't moved to the stage of being addicted to anything yet. Right. And some are suffering and they're using these uh, they're using substances as coping mechanisms and they show up to work bubbly and bright and they're still producing the numbers. Like you said earlier mm -hmm. and deep down inside, they aren't saying anything to anyone and they're just hurting. And that um, trauma, it's usually trauma that's kicking our butts and yeah. we don't know how to deal with the trauma because it hurts so bad. Um, it hurts when you got stuff from back in the day that you haven't touched. But the problem is, is that that work happens as a recovery coach, working with someone to help the right village and the supports help you work through that. So you're not by yourself. It's the best feeling in the world. And I have it. That's how I was able to get through this trauma uh, and still, I still battle shopping in stores, right? Um, but for me, knowing and recognizing it and working with the trauma as if instead of suppressing it has helped me understand the gift of knowing my emotions and sitting in it and being comfortable with being uncomfortable. So um, I think a big, big portion of it is being able to know that you're doing it for you. You're not doing it for anybody else but you. So you might as well do it right. Do it right because you deserve right. You deserve better, you know? Yeah. 
So now for, for Sparkle LLC, do you have a nationwide presence or are you localized to a certain region? If we needed you, how could we actually get in contact with you to get your services? So um, it's really good you asked that. Right now, um, first I thought it was just going to be a local thing in Colorado Springs, um, but due to being able to speak and just uh, LinkedIn and everything else, um, I'm more on a national scope. So um, the best way to get a hold of me is through my website, uh, sparklelindsay.com. And any, I'm on any and every social media site right now um, as far as speaking and all of that. So if you go on my Facebook page, Sparkle the Light at the End of the Tunnel, uh, I answer my DMs, okay? I answer my DMs on LinkedIn. I answer them on Instagram, Facebook. Um, I answer them. One thing I can say is that if you are battling right now, it's early in the morning and you're battling wanting to live or battling uh, addiction and you need help, please call your crisis center wherever you're at um, and get some help, the help you need. If you need to have a conversation on my website, it truly shows where you can do 15 minute conversations and we can discuss what will work for you and where you fit in your puzzle. And if I'm a good fit, if you're somebody that wants to help people or and you now feel like, you know, you've been in addiction and you've been sober for a while and you have a story that people need to hear and you know that there are some people that you can help. Please, please let me know and let's get you in that training. Uh, the training for November starts at the end of November, right after Thanksgiving. And uh, it's a four course type of special. So um, I really, really yearn for a lot of us executives who are starting to do better. Um, I yearn for us leaders to start giving back. But first, we have to give to ourselves. So if there's that program where it's like, I want to work with you, Sparkle, and then I want to become a coach, let's do this. Because I feel like we already have the drive as leaders to do this. We just need a little bit of help to get back on track. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So Maria says, as a professor, she agrees. Uh, she says that she can say that giving others a light, a path to become better than they were before, means the world to us. Very proud of your work, Sparkle Lindsay. Thank you so much. And I think that's a good portion is knowing that this has been valuable for schools, colleges, yep. you know, corporations, uh, just being able to speak this voice. Um, my book is Being a Better Me for Me, and it is 28 pages of a little bit of sunshine, 10 tips and tricks to helping you become the best version of yourself. And it is all self-reflective. So it's not one of those books. It's seven minutes long if you're just reading through it. But if you're actually doing the work, it's like, I think I need to put this down for a second. Um, I did, you know, I did a lot of the work on myself and I was like, "Woo, you want me to do what? Pull a feelings list and talk about how I feel. Dang. Okay. That's a good one. So um, all of these little things are happening and I'm just so excited right now, two and a half years to uh, be transpiring um, into what I've always wanted to be. And that's giving people the gift of, of happiness, but also as a coach, you know what I mean? Uh, Robert, as a coach, as an athlete, it's not a coach is someone who helps you drive and get what you need to get done to be successful. I am a coach and I always will be. So is my father, no different than him saying, now you figure out how to get 
out of jail. Right. I'll see you. We're going to be watching football. What? But yeah. I, <laughs> that's yeah. what I mean, I get that. Yeah. But at the same time, that's the same exact way it is. But when you can walk alongside somebody that actually has the same experiences you do, it doesn't it's not so that it's not that bad because now, you know, you're with somebody who can relate. And so if you're a person that has that story that can relate or you're a person who wants to be able to be vulnerable about your story or just have a good conversation, because, you know, I love doing that. um, Please contact me. SparkleLindsay.com. (laughs) <laughs> all right so you guys we've just wrapped up a full hour of talking with sparkle oh. Lindsay about addiction and recovery and adding a little bit of sunshine to your life she's just told us where we can find her if we want to get in contact with her i would also say if you know someone that yeah. is struggling <clears throat> it doesn't have to be you if you know someone that is struggling stop enabling the nonsense Mm-hmm. help them get the help that they need because enablers are just as bad as the actual person going through it um yes. if you really care about somebody stop the enabling we are going to drop all of sparkles contact information in the links um we're going to be available on all podcasting platforms so you will find us on apple spotify stitcher and if yeah. you need help get some help sparkle any last words my last words are this Today will never come again. So ask yourself, what are you going to do with it? Mm. One of the biggest pieces in our life, we, uh, we tend to take advantage or take for granted what is actually happening today. Please, if you can, stay present, stay in the moment, one step at a time, one moment at a time. Once again, if you don't know what you're going to do with today, start figuring it out. It's only... 703 here if you (laughs) I I mean you got the whole day ahead of you (laughs) so I'm sorry so if you don't know if you don't know now you know okay go ahead write down what you're gonna do and like I said before today will never come again what are you gonna do with it I know me right now, I'm going to get me some coffee and enjoy what's about to happen uh, and what's about to transpire for me in this day and just be happy and present that I'm actually doing it and that, um, you know, I trust in myself and my body and I'm excited for where God is taking me today. So, um, and once again, if you are not okay, please, please do not hesitate to ask for help. Um, And I'm always here. I'm always here. So that's what I got. (laughs) All right, my friends. And on that note, we'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Corporate Quitters Podcast. If you like this episode, go to your favorite podcasting platform and give us a five-star rating. I think we deserve it, don't you? If you want to know more, go to thecorporatequitters.com. Again, that is thecorporatequitters.com. You'll find articles you'll find apparel. That's right, we've got merch. You'll find ways to contact us and to keep in touch with us. www.thecorporatequitters.com Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time.